um, Psalm 46. <clears throat> and uh, if you're familiar at all with this psalm, this is a psalm that I have often shared with someone, particularly the first few verses, who is going through a crisis. I've sat at sick beds, even uh, near death beds, and I have shared this. I've sat with people going through all kinds of crisis in life, and I've shared this psalm, and, and I think you'll understand why as we walk through it. But let's begin by just reading the psalm throughout, and then we'll come back and kind of work our way through it. Psalm 46. God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear, though the earth gives way, though the mountains be moved into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam, though the mountains tremble at its swelling. There is a river whose streams make glad the city of God, the holy habitation of the Most High. God is in the midst of her. She shall not be moved. God will help her when morning dawns. The nations rage. The kingdoms totter. He utters his voice. The earth melts. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Salah. Come behold the works of the Lord, how he has brought desolations on the earth. He makes wars cease to the end of the earth. He breaks the bow and shatters the spear. He burns the chariots with fire. Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Father, we pray for your blessing upon your word this morning that it will speak to our hearts wherever we're at in life right now, that it'll speak a strong word of hope, encouragement, comfort, and conviction as we spend this time in this psalm. We ask it, Lord, in Jesus' name, amen. There is a movie that came out a few years ago, quite a few years ago now, called The Lake House. You may have seen it. And the premise of the movie is two people, Alex and Kate, uh, start to correspond to each other by sending mail through a mailbox at a lake house where at different points in time they both have stayed. Um, what they eventually find out is they are separated by two years. So Alex is writing from the year 2004, and Kate is writing from the year 2006. And the letters they find in the mailbox at this lake house are somehow transversing time, two years of time. So the letters that Kate finds in the mailbox are from two years in the past. And the letters that Alex finds in the mailbox are from two years in the future. Now, the reason I mentioned that movie and the premise is because there have been times over the years when someone has come up to me after a sermon and said something like, boy, you read my mail this morning. And I'm always encouraged by that because it means that it was a timely word, that God spoke a word they needed to hear in that moment. 
and that's always very encouraging. But what I want to really encourage you to recognize this morning is that sometimes God speaks a word to us that doesn't read our mail today. It reads our mail two years from now or two months from now. God is speaking the word today in order that we might tuck it away and be prepared for something that maybe future us might be writing to us about. I want to give you an example of something that happened to me. Um, back when I was single, um, I was attending a small home church, and I, I remember very clearly one Sunday morning the pastor spoke about parenting and shared a, a whole message based on scriptural principles of parenting. Now, that definitely didn't read my mail that morning. I didn't have a wife. I didn't have any kids. So it wasn't reading my mail. But God really used that message to deposit something in my heart that, that was for down the road. And I knew it. I knew it. I, I, I remember thinking, this, this, I want to parent like that. I want to use those biblical principles in my parenting. So the letter came to me about eight or nine years too early, but it was so good because it prepared me for something coming down the road. Psalm 46 is a psalm that is about where do you go when crisis hits your life? It's a psalm that gives a foundation that's strong enough for holding our lives together when our world is falling apart around us. And that may not be where you are this morning. I kind of hope it's not. I kind of hope that life is good and you're enjoying the summer and, 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 and your world isn't falling apart. But this message is for us, whether, whether it's now or it might be that future you is writing a letter right now to you saying, two years from now, ten years from now, this is coming. And this word, this psalm has truths that can prepare us for that day. My role, one of my responsibilities as a pastor is to help prepare us with biblical truth that goes deep enough to not just make us feel good on beautiful sunny days, but gives us a strong foundation so that when our world is falling apart, our lives aren't. And this psalm helps to do that. So wherever you're coming from this morning, let this word speak a deposit to our hearts that comfort us. Because you know, the best time for preparing for a crisis is before the crisis hits, not in the middle of the crisis. And we'll all face, we're all going to face crises at some point. And here's what we have in this psalm. And I'm going to jump to beyond verse 1 because we're going to come back to verse 1. But in verses 2, 3, and 6, the psalmist describes first natural and then national crisis. Verse 2 says, though the earth gives way. It literally means though the earth changes. Our world, everything we know, everything we take for granted, everything we're so sure about and so familiar with can change overnight. It can change overnight. 
It goes on to say, though the mountains be moved into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam, though the mountains tremble at its swelling. We have here a picture of cataclysmic, cataclysmic crisis, chaos. Mountains were understandably considered a symbol of all that is strong and stable and immovable. And the sea is a symbol of, the, of chaos and especially when it's raging and the waves are foaming. It's a, it's a symbol of chaos and danger. And so what you have here is you have the mountains, the stable, the immovable, crumbling and falling into this raging, churning, chaotic sea. Stability is being swallowed up by chaos. In 1958, a powerful earthquake just off the coast of Alaska, triggered a rock slide of 90 million tons into the narrow inlet of Latoya, Latoya Bay. That rock slide then triggered a mega tsunami that pushed water up the inlet's banks, washing away trees as high as 1,700 feet above the water level. 1,700 feet. That earthquake and the events that happened after caused scientists to start to study seriously what became known as impact events. Impact events. Those events that impact in ways that often trigger more impact and chaos and devastation. I think, I think we know the people of Maui are experiencing that right now with fire consuming so much of, of their island, over 100, 114, I think, confirmed dead at this point, over 1,000 people still missing. Some had to jump into the ocean to escape the flames. Homes have been destroyed. Livelihoods have been burnt to ashes. And all of this happened without any warning. All of this happened, in fact, the day before, it was just a beautiful day. In fact, ironically enough, yesterday, Janice and I and our son Matthew went to Ontario Lake. And, and as I was swimming in the lake, there was a woman there who started talking to me because she was like, do you ever get used to the cold? I'm like, yeah, once you get in, it's pretty good. And as we got to talking, she said, I just got back recently from Maui. I said, are you talking about the Maui that's on flight? She said, yeah, we left the day before. The day before was a beautiful day. Vacation, sunshine, waves, nothing wrong. Impact event, so much of that. The lives are changed. The, without warning, though the earth give way, though the earth be changed. That's what this is saying. Verse 6 so verse 2 and 3 describe natural crisis. Verse 6 describes national crisis. Nations raging, wars breaking out, kingdoms tottering. So we've got the world as a tinderbox that could go up at any moment. And that's what we live in. That's, that's, that is the world we live in. 
Sometimes impact events hit and they can hit large numbers of people. But I also want to point out that sometimes impact events can happen in our personal lives and no one else knows it's happening. Our world is rocked, but everybody else's world just goes on like normal. And those are crises as well that rock our world personally. So where do we go to be safe when crisis hits our lives? When the world comes crashing down, what holds us up? And verse 2, if you look at it, it begins with what is almost an impossible claim. He says, therefore, we will not fear. Therefore, we will not fear when the mountains fall into the sea, when chaos swallows up stability, when the earth is changed and our lives are changed overnight and we didn't see it coming. Therefore, we will not fear. That seems like almost an impossible. If you're going to fear, fear when your world comes crashing down, when everything is chaotic, when nothing that you knew is the same that seems like a pretty good time to fear, actually. But verse 2 begins with the word, therefore. So we need to go back to verse 1. What? What gives our lives immovable security that we will not fear? Verse 1. God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble that's the answer when our world is falling apart we find a refuge we find a safe place we find a strong tower in God strong enough to keep us safe no matter what and I want to underline that no matter what it's that yeah I know if I get you know if I lose my job or you know something goes a little wrong I know God is my refuge. No, no, no. That's true. But no matter what. In Christ, we have a rock strong enough to stand on when the ground beneath us is completely shaken. God is big enough to keep us safe. No matter what. If our homes were to burn down tomorrow, we know that Jesus is preparing an eternal home for us. If the world were to cease tomorrow, cease, we know that those who trust in Christ will live forever in his eternal kingdom. That's why Jesus says, don't fear those who can only kill your body. Now, in the natural, that kind of feels like a pretty good place to start fearing. But he said, don't fear those who can only kill your body, because that's all they can do. To Jesus, that's not that big a deal. Because for those who trust in Christ, that's just the, the gateway to eternal life, to eternal glory, to being in the presence of God forever, to, to the kingdom of Jesus, which is perfect and glorious. God is a refuge strong enough for us to take shelter in no matter what. God is a very present help in trouble. He's, he's right there with you, eager to help. 
And that word help conveys God doing for us that which we are not able to do on our own. That which we simply could not do when we can't solve the problem on our own, when we can't fix things on our own, when it's beyond our ability to deal with, when we can't protect ourselves on our own, we can call on God, we can cry out for help, knowing God is a very present, always present help in times of trouble. He's never like somewhere else. He's present in times of trouble. As that massive wave began to rush into the Latoya Bay Inlet, Howard Ulrich and his seven-year-old son were on a boat, anchored not far in that inlet, and he sees this over 100-foot wave coming at him he tries to pull up the anchor but it's stuck and he can't get the anchor up and so he throws his son a life preserver and he says son you need to pray you need to pray and the wave came and lifted them up broke the anchor the chain began to whip around the pilot house but somehow that boat crested this wave. Not all boats did. It came on the other side. And they were able to call for help and be rescued. They survived. The boat was not the refuge. Calling upon the Lord was the refuge that saved them. Ask for God for help because this wave is bigger than I can control. Sometimes waves hit our lives where we just throw on a life preserver, Jesus Christ, and we just cry out for help because we don't have the ability to deal with it. But God does. God does. They cried for help and God heard. Now I want to point out in verse 4, there's a very different reference to water. Read it with me. There is a river whose streams make glad the city of God, the holy habitation of the Most High. God is in the midst of her. She shall not be moved. God will help, there's that word again, her, when morning dawns. So in verse 2, we see water, the seas raging and churning and angry. But here is a different kind of water. This is a river, a stream that brings life, that brings gladness, that brings joy, even when our world is crashing down. Now, verse 4 is centered in this psalm around Jerusalem, Zion, the city of God, where the temple was. Because to their understanding, in those days, the presence of God, where God chose to be, was in his temple, in his city, the city of God. Today, we know God's presence and his blessing is not limited to a physical location that we need to move to. His presence, his blessing is in a person, Jesus Christ. And all those who receive Jesus as their Savior are in Christ, which means we are in that blessing. And then he gives us the Holy Spirit, so he, God, is in us. He's residing in us. So he is with us. We won't be moved. There is a stream of water. And by the way, as, as I've had the privilege of pastoring now for, I think, 30 years, and uh, I have watched believers walk through world-rocking events. 
and I have seen a stream of joy. I don't mean happiness. I don't mean they were laughing or chirpy. But even in the midst of tears and world-shattering sadness, I have seen a stream of gladness, of joy, because they knew Christ was with them and walking through that valley with them. I've experienced that. Not that depth of valley, but I've experienced the presence of God in hard times. There is a stream that makes glad the city of God. And he will help us. He will help us when morning dawns. Weeping may last the evening, but joy comes in the morning. The second thing I want to point out here from this, where it goes, is that God is either going to be our refuge or he's going to be our judge. Read with me verses 6 through 9. The nations rage, the kingdoms totter, He utters his voice, the earth melts. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress, Selah. That just means pause. Come, behold the works of the Lord, how he has brought desolations on the earth. We don't expect that word. We expect how he's brought blessings and goodness, desolations, devastations on the earth. He makes wars cease to the end of the earth. He breaks the bow and shatters the spear. He burns the chariots with fire. This psalm toggles back and forth between those who make God their refuge and those who rage against him. Those who belong to him and those who oppose him. There is no other ground. We are, Jesus said, you're either with me or you're against me. You're for me or against me. Sin has set us in opposition to God. We are born with a hostility to God. Whether we're a nice person or a horrible person, whether we go to church or the church, we never darken the doors of the church. We are born with a sinful nature that hates God. There are people, I mean, we see it in the gospel. There were people who loved religion. They love their traditions. They love to pray in the marketplace and have everybody see how spiritual they are. And they love to read the Bible and they love to go to temple and they love their religion, but they hated God. God isn't calling you to love a religion. He's calling you to love him. And so there's no middle ground. We're either for him or against him. He is either our refuge or he is our judge. There's no other ground. Now, Jesus came to end the hostility between us and God the Father and reconcile us to him as our father and as our friend. The impact event going on in this particular psalmist's life probably was that Jerusalem was under siege. More than likely, they were being attacked, possibly by the Assyrians, as recorded in Isaiah But war was probably the impact event, not mountains falling into the sea. That wasn't physically happening there. That's a metaphor. But the nations raging and the kingdoms tottering and war occurring, that probably was happening. That's probably what they're facing. And things looked hopeless, and nations were raging, kingdoms were toppling, war was upon them. But God reminds them, and he reminds us in this psalm, that God is never a passive observer 
God is never being swept along by circumstances beyond his control. God is sovereign over all. He is sovereign over everything. He is Lord over all. And he is the Lord of armies. He is the judge. Ultimately, every impact event in history is either permitted by God or caused by him. And I don't have time to, for us to theologically unpack that, but there is nothing that God is like, whoops, whoops, that one got away from me. That doesn't mean he's like, that's my will, I want to do that, but he permits things to occur. Nothing is out of his control. So this, this talks about war, and there's rage, and there's kingdoms tottering, which means there's kingdoms conquering. But here's where it goes. He speaks a word and the earth melts. He has brought desolations on the earth. He is bringing judgment. He will be the final word. He will bring it all to an end. He will break the bow. He will shatter the spear. He will burn the chariots with fire. The last word belongs to God. God's judgment is the final word. The biggest impact event that this world is hurtling towards right now, it won't be man-made. It won't be man-made. It won't be climate change. It won't be nuclear war. It won't be economic collapse. It won't be some kind of plague. Those things are going to come. Revelation says they're going to come. But they are not the biggest impact event. And the reason they come is because God is going to judge this world. He is going to judge. I mean, he, there have been many judgments all through history, but he is going to judge this world. And that is the biggest impact event this world and every person in it will face. And everyone who isn't or doesn't take refuge in Jesus will face that judgment. But those in Christ can know that he is with us. Over and over again he says, but he is with us. He is with God's people, with those who trust in him. He is our fortress. He is our shelter. And the thing he shelters us from most importantly is his judgment. You see, here's the, here's the beautiful thing. As Jesus hung on the cross, the Bible says there came a point where the sky turned pitch black for three hours. And during that time, God's judgment for your sin and mine swept over Jesus like a white hot furnace. God's anger at sin, his anger at rebellion, his anger at corruption swept over Jesus as if Jesus was the sinner who committed all those sins. It was his judgment in that moment. The judgment we deserved scorched earth. Scorched earth over Jesus. The cross is ground zero for God's judgment. But the beautiful thing is the cross is also ground zero for God's love. 
and that he demonstrated his love for us and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. So the, the cross is not just a symbol of a God who just loves and loves and loves and come on in, everybody's welcome. Not at all. It is a symbol of a God who is ferociously opposed to sin and no sin can enter his presence and everyone who sins which is every one of us is going to be judged and condemned forever and cast from his presence except he has provided a way for us to be spared that judgment through believing in Jesus Christ, through trusting in him and what he did on the cross and we have that ability whosoever believes will not perish, but be, but have eternal life. The only safe place, the only safe place on that day to be in is to be in Christ through faith. So I want to just pause. If you have never asked Jesus Christ to be your Savior, today's a great day to do it. Because we never know when the next impact event is going to hit the world. Our country, our community, our economy, or our personal lives. But I guarantee you, they are going to hit. I mean, they just do. They just do. One way or another, they do. And God is appealing to you today. Don't trust in yourself. Don't trust in your ability. Call out to him a very present help in times of trouble. Don't trust in man to save you. Trust in God's son, Jesus Christ, to save you from harm and from the coming judgment. You see, God will either be our refuge or he will be our judge. And then finally, we come to this beautiful verse, verse 10. It's like God says, let's, let's take a pause here. We've got all this chaos going on, kingdoms toppling, but let's take a breath. Verse 10, be still and know that I am God. Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. Sometimes we just need to be still. See, it's in stillness that we learn to hear God's still small voice. It's in stillness that we learn to anchor our soul to God who is greater, who is strong enough to hold us together when our world is falling apart, who is strong enough to keep us standing when everything else is crashing down. We live in a noisy, distracted, fast-paced, crazy world Constant noise, though. Constant noise leaves us shallow people. Shallow in our thoughts, shallow in our character, shallow in our faith. There's a time to shout God's praise. There's a time to give him praise. And there are other psalms that do that. Smash those symbols, Tony. Not right now. There's a time to shout with a loud voice and clap your hands and make a loud noise to God, but there's also a time to be still. 
to be quiet, to shut out the noise, the distractions, and let our faith go deep and our thoughts of God go high. We don't, we don't come to know God through noise. We need to be still and know that he is God. Being still means not just reading the Bible, but meditating on it. It means our prayers aren't just talking to God, but listening to him as well. It means we're not just focusing on our situation, but we're looking beyond our situation with eyes of faith to see the glory and the power and the sovereignty and the goodness of our God. Be still and know that I am God. I want to ask the band to come back up. We're going to come back to that song that we sang earlier. As I shared when I began, this is a psalm I've sat and read to many people who are facing a crisis. And it brings such comfort when you're in that place. Someone here, this, this psalm might be reading your mail. This psalm might be reading your mail today. You might be in a crisis today. Maybe nobody else knows it, but it's in your heart. Or it's something going on in your life. And it's reading your mail. And that's, I hope that it encourages you and I hope it anchors your faith and strengthens your faith. But some of us got a letter today from the future for two years. A letter, we just, we just opened our mailbox and we just got a letter and we're like, what, what? Crisis, chaos. It's a letter from two years from now. Encouraging us to prepare now for that day. Let our roots go deep now so that when the winds come and the waves crash, our house does not fall apart. God says, be still, be still, be still and know that I am God. One day I will be exalted in the nations. You exalt me today.